that short clip encapsulates some of the challenges of our present age. We live in a world that's in a lot of turmoil, and uh, we're going to look at uh, these kinds of things, not these topic matters necessarily, but what we're going to look at is how do we live in such a time as this? What is God calling his people to be, and how should we live? And so we're going to do this series right now for the next four weeks called For Such a Time as This. It's really a prequel to this fall series uh, entitled The Remnant. Um, But basically in both these series, what we're doing is saying, okay, Christianity finds itself a bit marginalized, and we find ourselves not in the center of influence um, So what do we do? Well, we don't despair. We understand it's just different. And God oftentimes works most mightily in the margins of a culture. And so we can't long to be in a different era. We can't long for the good old days, whatever they were. We can't have this escapism kind of mentality where we say, if it wasn't like this, if it just wasn't like this. Instead, we got to say, these are the times we find ourselves in, and we have been put in, in, in this time of history on purpose for such a time as this. One of my biblical heroes is Queen Esther. If you want to read about her, you can read about her in the Old Testament book of Esther, which makes sense. And, and she was basically brought as a captive into a foreign land and, and through God's hand in her life, ended up being in the position of queen over that land. And when some troubling times came upon Israel, her cousin Mordecai said, Esther, you've been raised up for such a time as this. If you don't do it, God will raise up somebody else. And I tell you what, if you, if you don't know her story, just go to the Old Testament and read about her. It's a good story. It's a short read. It's definitely worth reading. I think she's, she's just a prototype of what we have to uh, be like in the times we find ourselves in right now. Um, and so we're going to enter into this series for such a time as this. It's a broad view of what's going on here in our church over the next three months. I've just given you just a super huge broad view. But listen, you and I are put into this time of history on purpose. Don't long to escape it. Don't long to to be in a different era. Don't long for good old days. Don't try to recreate your way out of it. Face up to the time of history you find yourself in and ask God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? So this morning, we begin our journey for such a time as this. And I think the starting point for such a journey is to go back to some fundamentals of faith. What are the kind of uh, faith-based people are we to be in in such a time as this? And God calls us to have a faith for the times we find ourselves in. That's what we're going to look at this morning and for the next uh, few weeks. Um, We're in a culture moving far from God. Do you understand that? That's reality. We are in a culture moving far from God. It's imperative for God's people to move more towards God than ever then. Amen, right? Not to be fear-based, not to to be apathetic, but to be focused-based, focused faith-based people more than ever. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. How How do we have faith in such times? How do we have this focused faith? And here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Hey, first hour is more awake than you all. Do I need to get you to jump up, do some jumping jacks? What do we need? I need some interaction here. I want you to be on board with what I'm, uh, what I'm talking about. This is super, super important stuff here that we're going to look at for the next few weeks. Very relevant um, uh, to us as Christians. Listen to this story. A Bible student turned in his typed-up sermon to his Bible prof. 
for grading in. Then he met with him for a conference on the grade. The professor started out very positive. He said to the young man, I like your exegesis. You presented the meaning of the text in a helpful and very clear fashion. You, your three points make sense. They show balance. They show progression. Your introduction, your conclusion both show a great deal of uh, thought. The illustrations you used seem to be right on. Um, but I'm going to give you a D uh, for this sermon. This, the, the, the Bible student was taken aback and said, why a D if it's all that good? He said, well, frankly, it's because of your sermon title. It's one of the worst I've ever seen. Nobody will want to come to hear a sermon entitled The Paracopes of Jesus in Relationship to the Eschatology of the Apostle Paul. No one's going to want to do that. Tell you what I'll do, the professor said. I'll give you a chance to retitle uh, the message. Here's what I want you to do. I want your message title to be so, you know, grabbing that if a bus full of people were driving by the church and they saw your message on the church sign, they would jump out of the bus and get into the church. So the, the, the Bible student went home that night, sweated bullets, putting together a new title for the message. So the next day he comes back to his professor, hands him in uh, the new sermon title, which read this way. Your bus has a bomb on it. That's a good title. That'll get your attention. That'll get you off the bus and into the church really fast. I, I want to talk to you for a few moments you know, about the facts of our situation. We live in a culture, basically, that is a bus with a bomb on it. This is not the time for us as followers of Jesus Christ to take a break, to say it's too hard to get apathetic and get disconnected and, and to get all caught up in the things of the world and, and think, I, I, I just need more vacation, I need more breaks. We are in a culture with a bomb in it. Things are going bad. There's turmoil out there. There's a lot of disunity and, and lots of stuff going on. I mean, if Charlottesville, we could have put that on overhead today, right? I mean... Really? Have you read about some of that? If you haven't, read about it. You go, what in the world is going on here? We're on a bus with a bomb in it. If that's not enough, listen, we're heading towards the destiny of death. And at that destiny awaits the question of heaven or hell. Every single one of us is on a bus with a bomb. And it's imperative that in the times we find ourselves in, if we're going to have faith for the times, we're not taking a break. We're not being apathetic. I think part of the problem is we live on the edge of capacity because we have bought into an unsustainable lifestyle that this world promotes. You cannot have it all. That's silliness and nonsense. You have to, on purpose, make space for God in your life. You have to make room for him. You have to give him operating space. And you have to slow down, and you have to see what's important in life. And you just can't be caught up all the time in doing, 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 getting, 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 and living, living, living. <sighs> One of my favorite cartoon characters, and I'm dating myself when I say this, is Dilbert. I'm really dating myself, aren't I? Dilbert talked about all these deadlines that we tend to face. You know, a lot of deadlines are mandated on us, but some deadlines, deadlines are self-imposed. But he said this, Dilbert, in a cartoon, he said, I love deadlines. I especially love the whooshing sound they make as they go by unfulfilled. 
And we live in a culture, in a time, in work environments, in self-imposing to uh, uh, all these urgent deadline things. And I think God is saying to you and I, you got to slow down. Give me some space in your life. Think about what really matters. We have to live out a faith-focused life, a faith that is relevant to the times. And we can't let the tyranny of all this stuff govern our lives. We have to get with God, find ourselves in God, and live accordingly in times such as these. I'm going to use Matthew chapter 14 as our text this morning. Let me give you some background information. After hearing that John the Baptist was beheaded, which I think had to just devastate Jesus, his cousin's beheaded, or his cousin and cousin, whatever, it is, whatever the relationship is. After he was beheaded, Jesus, we're told, withdrew to a solitary place. But the crowds followed after him. They just wouldn't leave Christ alone. And Christ had compassion, we're told, on them, and he healed the sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to the Lord and said, hey, you need to send this crowd away. It's, it's you know, basically dinner time. We don't have any food. They need to go to the villages. They need to buy food. Jesus said, you give them food. And the disciples came up with this solution. They found a boy with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Kind of reminds me of what would happen if I was put in charge of any kind of vacation that Vicky and I would take. We would quickly run out of anything that we needed because I'm not a very good planner. And so this little boy presents his meal to Jesus, and Jesus blesses it, and they begin to distribute it to the crowds, and all of a sudden they feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Pretty cool, huh? Marvelous miracle, 12 basketfuls of, of uh, food is left over. And um, this healing by Jesus, this feeding by Jesus brought him popularity. And if you read elsewhere about this feeding of the 5,000, if you leave Matthew and you go to the book of John, you go to John 6.15, after this miracle we're told that they are ready to forcibly make Jesus, their earthly king. This explains a lot about what I'm about to read to you this morning. Because Jesus said quick to his disciples, get in the boat. Get out of here. See, when we begin our reading in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go to the other side of the lake. Well, he dismissed the people. Why? Why? Because he wasn't about being an earthly king. He wasn't about being at the center of culture and having all this influence and political power and positional power and, you know, uh, you know um, being well-known and all that kind of stuff in that regard. I, I think if I was a disciple, I would have thought, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? We're there. They're recognizing you. They, they want you as king. Step into this role. Imagine all the influence you have. Imagine all the good things you could do. Imagine all the change that would happen if you would just step into this role. But Jesus says, get in the boat, get out of here. It says something about what we ought to hope for. It says something about what you and I ought to trust. We can easily fall in the trap of thinking if we just had leverage, if we just had positional power, if we just had influence, if we were just in the mainstream, that would be the sweet spot for Christianity. Jesus had all that. He had it all there. 
He says to his disciples, get out of here. This isn't what I'm about. Get in the boat. Go quickly. And then he goes and prays to his heavenly Father. We have to quit thinking wrong. We have to quit thinking that it's about getting the right person in a position of authority that will save the day for us Christians. We have to quit thinking that it's about politics or influence or whatever you want to put in there. It is about understanding who God is and what God is up to. And throughout the history of Christendom, God has moved mightily in the margins of culture by using obedient, committed people. Amen? So this brings us to the first point of becoming a people for the times we live in. Uh, It's this, see the real Jesus and know what he's really about. Just see the real Jesus and know what he's really about. I have heard some say uh, in the past, I gave this Jesus thing a try. It didn't work for me. Well, in reality, most, what was tried wasn't probably real. And it probably wasn't even the real Jesus. It was probably a Jesus of their own making. And that Jesus of our own making never works. I'm going to tell a Norwegian joke. So just so you understand, this is a Norwegian joke. Since I'm Norwegian, I can say that without offending anybody because I am Norwegian. A logging foreman sold Oli a chainsaw. It was guaranteed to cut down 50 trees in a single day. A week later, a very unhappy Oli came back to report that the power saw must be faulty. It averaged only three days a week, or three trees a day, excuse me. The foreman grabbed the chainsaw, ripped it into life, and it began to make the chainsaw noise. And Oli said, what's that noise? I know, it's terrible. He was out there sawing with chainsaw like this, like any good Norwegian would do. Um, So many have had a brush with Jesus or have come to Jesus of their own making, and it's like they're taking the power saw and going, this Jesus thing doesn't work. He just doesn't work in my life very well. That's because you haven't really had the power of God unleashed in you. You haven't met the real... Jesus, they got a chainsaw in their hands, but they're not understanding its operation. The problem is never that Jesus doesn't somehow work. That is never the problem. The problem is always a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he's all about. If we're going to be for such a time people, we got to get that. If we want to have a faith for the times, we got to understand Jesus is not an escape route to a more comfortable, carefree life. That is not who Jesus is. If you come to Jesus thinking your life will be easier, you're coming to the wrong Jesus. Oftentimes, when you come to Jesus, you have more problems, more challenges, more discomfort, as you have to literally die to self that he may grow in you. He's not a tack-on to an already busy life. He's not content with being a motivation factor in your life. Well, I can have a better marriage if I'm a a follower of Jesus. I can have better parenting skills. I, I can do my career better. Now, he may do all that for you, but he's not some motivational thing. He's life. He's about big questions. What happens when I die? Because I'm on a bus with a bomb. He's about death. He's about what in the world am I even here for? Why do I even exist? He's the door to God. He's the gateway to heaven. 
He's how we get there. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's our substitute for the penalty that we should experience. He changes everything. He transforms your life. He renews your soul. He cleanses your heart. He fills you with the person of the Holy Spirit. You're never the same. That's the chainsaw fired up. I see too many people going, the Jesus thing, it doesn't work. Fire it up! Begin to know who the real Jesus is. He works if you know who the real Jesus is. God needs that kind of follower for such a time as we find ourselves in. Jesus said to his disciples, my kingdom is not of this world. I have come to establish God's kingdom. He was never about changing the world by getting into its power structure and being a person of earthly influence. He immediately gets his disciples into a boat, says, you're out of here, and he goes up to pray to God. We cannot despair because of the times we find ourselves in. They're just different times. We cannot despair if we're not the power brokers of our culture. God seems to have the standard operating procedure. I call this an SOP, standard operating procedure. If you're a technical person, you hear this word all the time. God seems to have the SOP, the standard operating procedure of always working mightily in the margins of culture when it seems like nothing can happen. That's when God seems to show up strongest because we have to be utterly dependent upon him and he gets all the glory. So we don't despair when we find ourselves in tough times. We don't despair when we see newscasts about Korea building up nuclear missiles or, you know, I know, teenagers getting off cell phones. I guess that to me is not comparable, but whatever. You follow what I'm saying. We don't despair because we're not people of despair. We're people of Christ. Jesus knew my mission is to come and die and establish a heavenly kingdom. So now we're ready to read Matthew chapter 14. Verses 22 through 33, listen to what this says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. You just got to get, that is so different from what we think should happen. Just let that bug you. It should just bug you. Usually we read through that to get to the Peter part. Jesus is at the apex of popularity. He is the man. Get out of here, guys. I'm going to go pray. After he dismissed him, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out of fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked in the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus wasn't about the power of this world. He went off, he prayed. He's all about the power of God. He models for us what we should be doing in the times we live in. Not despairing, but turning to God and expecting God to move in power. It's tempting to put trust in what is viewed as the power of the day. It's tempting to think that 
the right kind of government, the right kind of media, the right kind of charismatic leader, whatever, they're, they're, they're going to be the savior of the day. But hear what the Bible says. Some trust in the legs of men. I'm using Old Testament here, okay? Some trust in the legs of men. Some trust in the strength of the horse. But as for me, I trust in the Lord my God. That is the kind of people God is calling out in this day and this time. That's what he wants us to, to, to be. Jesus had all the popularity in the world. He had all the support in the world. But he turned immediately to God and sought intimacy with God. That's the Jesus that we have to trust in the times we find ourselves in. That's what it means to be a person of faith in this time. We trust in Jesus, no matter what is going on. The boat trip's an interesting event. If you read about this trip in other accounts beside Matthew, you go over to Mark and John, you get a kind of a full-orbed picture. It's quite a wind. Now, we in South Dakota, we understand wind, amen? Come on now, you know wind, right? We don't say, it's a windy day. We say, there's no wind today. <laughs> That's us in South Dakota. We get wind. I was up at our lake place here about two weeks ago, and we got this nice new little kayak, and I thought, i got to try this puppy out. I was busy. I didn't get a chance to really to, to paddle that thing that, that three days I'd been there, so I thought, I'm going to jump in the kayak, and I'm going to paddle today for a while. Well, there was a northwest wind about 20 miles an hour, which means it's sweeping right across the lake at our shoreline. So I, I, I being the good kayaker, no, go into the wind first. So I'm paddling that kayak against that blasted wind, and I get about across the lake. I said, this isn't even worth it. I ought to just want to turn around and let it blow me back. It's so much work. Imagine you're a disciple. You're in this big lumberjack bolt thing that's not that streamlined, and you're oaring, and they're saying, as they were oaring and buffeted by the wind, the oars were harassing them. That's what it means. It was hard work. And some commentaries I read said they went about three and a half miles. They went a long distance, about three and a half miles. I don't know where they got that number. Somebody asked me first hour. Who knows? It could be two miles. It could be five miles. You put your number in there, whatever you want. And all I know is you go over a half a mile on a boat like that, you're tired. They're estimated that it took them nine hours of oaring to get there. Ever oar for nine hours? I can only imagine what these guys are thinking. Jesus, why aren't you my earthly king right now? They wanted to make you king. They wanted you to be exalted and, and recognized. And your kingdom come, Lord. And here it is. It's coming. Why aren't we there? Why are we co-ruling with you? We're out in this boat. <gasps> you know, rowing into this wind that's like a South Dakota wind. They didn't have that perspective we do. Oftentimes, we want a comfortable, easy life. If we're honest, we want to come to Jesus. We want problem-free life. We want comfortable life. We want full bellies. We want to be healed of our diseases. But Jesus says, no, I'm Lord of the storm. I'm a bigger God than this. You're limiting who I am. You need to get in the boat. You need to oar for a while. You need to struggle for a while. Because you're on a bus with a bomb. Your life's going to end. And in the world you live in, it's going to have troubles. And you need to understand who I am and how I'm Lord over all those things. So these boys are rowing in the boat, right? And here comes Jesus walking on the lake in the early morning, most likely between 3 and 6 a.m. And one commentary said this. You've got to get the picture of how he's walking because it's windy and it's wavy, and they're on the middle of a big lake. So they said most likely he was up. And down with the waves as he's walking. He's walking in the waves. He's not walking the level path with the waves. He's walking on the water. Up, 
Can you get this and down? And they see Jesus. It's, you can't see very well. You've been rowing for nine hours, harassed by the wind, right? And you see somebody, ooh, 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 ooh. What are you going to think? That's a ghost. This is not a stretch. And they do what most of us would do. Ah! They cry out. They're physically exhausted. They're straining in the turbulent wind. They're probably wondering, why did Jesus do this to us? And then he comes walking on the water. We live in turbulent times, don't we? We're tossing by the wind. And Jesus says some words we've got to take to heart this morning. Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. You need to memorize that. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's words for us today, too. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. We are not to be fear-based people, followers of Jesus. We don't do things because we're fearful. Jesus says to you and me as well as to the disciples, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. That's our second point this morning. Jesus invites you to come near to him and fear not. Their trip across that lake could easily represent the times we live in. We're in stormy times. It's exhausting at times. Sometimes you're working really hard and you have little to show for it. Sometimes you're buffeted by the storms of life, tossed around a bit. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're wondering what the purpose is. Things like we watch today in the news, some of those things are just downright scary. Charlottesville, to me, is still a scary thing that people think like that in our country. It's scary to me. It's wrong. It's wrong-headed. Amen, Right? What in the world you watch and you go, that's something we might have saw a hundred years ago. I can't believe we're still seeing this in our country. And it's easy to succumb to fear, but we are not fear-based people because Jesus says, take courage. As I do not be afraid. Our culture needs to see such people for times we find ourselves in. Our faith needs to be this kind of faith if it's going to be a faith that addresses our times. We need to be people who minister the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ in such times as these. So now Peter comes on center stage, and this is who we usually think of when we look at this story, and he's kind of a bit player in my message today, but I'm still going to talk on him for a moment. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, if it's a ghost, I always think this tongue-in-cheek, would he tell... Peter, the truth, if it was a ghost? I think he would say, come in the water. I want to watch you sink. That'd be fun. Peter's name needs rock. I don't know if I'd get on the water if I was Peter. But anyway, you know, he says, I want to walk to you, Jesus. So he gets out of the boat, and he what? Water walks. That's phenomenal. This brings us to point three. As you draw near to Jesus, expect the supernatural. That's what happens as you draw near to Jesus, especially in turbulent times. Expect the supernatural. Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus. He water walked. But then he sees the storm. He sees the wind. I think you see wind when there's water droplets in it and it's buffeting you out in the lake. You know, that's how you see the wind because really the wind's kind of invisible, isn't it? Come on. All right. I'm, I'm going weird today. Anyway, but you get what I'm saying. So he takes his eyes off Christ. He looks at the storm around him and he begins to sink. Listen, the times we find ourselves in, they're troubling indeed. There, there, there are times that we wonder about what's going on. But if we look at those things, we will sink. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have to fix on Jesus more now than ever. 
Listen to this. It's a something I've been thinking on as I've been preparing this series for the summer and for the fall, um, mainly the fall of the Remnant series. We've been using some of Steve Deneff's material. He preached uh, a Remnant series in college church, and we're using some of that, but it's been tremendously modified. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, But he has a quote that I like. I've been thinking on this quote a lot. He says, the measurement of a church in the margins will be the supernatural power in her, not her programs. He's right. The measurement of a church in the times of the margin will be your supernatural power, not our programs. What he's saying is we've got to trust that God will do something in us we cannot do ourselves. And all the good programming in the world and all the great teaching in the world doesn't do, do any good unless the power of God is unleashed among God's people. By the way, we've written a book. It's called The Remnant Study Guide, and it's going to be uh, something we hand out. I have the leader's guide here. I'm excited because we just got the leader's guide. It's printed out. <clears throat> We're going to print out the remnant guide next. It's quite a thorough uh, book that will go with this fall series. And I can't encourage you enough to get into a small group, discuss what we're going to be discussing this fall. If you don't want to do that, take the book home with you. Do it by yourself. Do it with your family. But do something with the series that gets you thinking on it and, and kind of meditating on it when you're home. And we got, this is, this is good stuff. I mean, we wrote it ourselves, so that's kind of like me saying we're really good. But that's not what I'm really saying. It's good stuff. Stuff that we, I think God is speaking uh, uh, to us. Just anyway, be open to this, okay? Be open to this. What, what, what that, that's my little info commercial in the middle of the message. Um, what will speak to people far gone from God in times like we find ourselves, is the supernatural move of God. We see his life's transformed, where he sees God moving divinely, and there's no explanation other than God's God. We have to expect God to move supernatural as, as we draw near to him. What became Peter's challenge in the midst of that storm was keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, and that's our challenge today, too, for us, in the middle of the storms that we find ourselves in. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus no matter what you're facing. Keep your eyes just fixed on Jesus. Uh, I don't, I'm never hard on Peter. You know Why? He's the only disciple that water walked. The other ones were hanging out in the boat. He got out. He took some steps. I am sure his life was never the same. There's always risk to water walking. There's always risk to taking steps of faith. You might sink a bit. But he did something really important. Peter cried out to the Lord when he began to sink. Turned his eyes right back to Jesus and said, Save me. It's good stuff here. Good stuff. He could have just sank slowly into the water, doing this on purpose. And this went back to the boat and say, I water walk, guys. I'm a hero. Instead, he didn't care what he looked like. Save me, Lord. I'm going down. At that moment, I don't think any, any uh, image was on his mind. He wanted to be in the arms of Jesus Christ. Listen, get this perspective. Forget image, focus on Jesus. Times we find ourselves in, it's not the time to worry about image. It's the time to be focused on Jesus Christ. Listen, right now, Christianity oftentimes is marginalized. It's ridiculed. It's disrespected. We're pushed frequently into the margins of culture. We're viewed as irrelevant. Faith is promoted as a private thing, but not a public uh, debate. And sometimes we want to be respected and heard. We want, in a sense, to, you know, have our due. And I think, forget that. Forget that. Forget image. Focus on Jesus Christ. 
and to heaven is power unleashed in our midst. Jesus catches out uh, Peter and says, why did you doubt? And that's what, that to me is an admonished word for God's people in the times we find ourselves in. Don't doubt God. Now is not the time to be apathetic. Now is not the time to take breaks. Now is not the time to try to escape from culture. Now is not the time to, to kind of say, I, I'm just going to take it easy and coast to the end. No, 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 no. Now is the time to face what we're facing. Amen? With the, with the help of God, we can be the people God wants us to be for the time of history we find ourselves in. We can do this thing. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have got to stand up and become the people God intends us to become. That's what God is saying for us to do in such a time as this. If we don't, we'll sink. If we doubt, we'll sink. The account here begins with a bunch of people with full bellies, with their sick healed, wanting to have an earthly king, and their desire was really for a comfortable existence. Jesus says, nope, nope, that's not going to happen. Take his disciples into a boat, gets them right into the middle of a storm, water walks, and these men are never the same because they see the Lord of the storm. Which brings us to this conclusion. When Jesus is understood as Lord of the storm, it just results in worship. And the worship it results in is twofold, two characteristics. It's accurate. First of all, we see Jesus for who he really is and what he's really about. They did. They begin to understand, oh, you're not an earthly king. You're much greater than that. You're about much more than that. And secondly, it's authentic. Disciples genuinely worshiped their Lord, and they said, you are the Son of God. And they said that in amazement. And they had this authentic moment. What the world needs from you and me at this time is accurate worship of Christ, authentic worship of Christ. We're not trying to escape culture. We're facing up to it. We're presenting to culture the real Jesus and how we live our lives and, and what we expect from Jesus Christ. And we're drawing near to Jesus and we're expecting, listen to this, we're expecting the supernatural. We're expecting that. That's what we need in such a time as this.